chapter 3. We're going through this book as a church. Learning about the power of God in our weakness. While you're turning there, um, let me tell you a story about myself. I, I, um, I was always skeptical about chiropractic health care. Now, this is not either an endorsement or denial of chiropractic health care. It's an illustration of the Bible. So. But anyhow, I was always skeptical. Um, it wasn't so much that I had reasons to not see it as legitimate, but I had doubts. And maybe I, I grew up in a family with a lot of nurses and doctors and stuff. And so maybe, you know, chiropractic health care is just kind of outside the norms in terms of that. But anyhow, my skepticism changed in 2005. Um, at that point, I had a recurrent pain in my lower neck, and I was able to, unable to turn my head to the right. Um, so I couldn't sleep, you know, turning my head. It always had to be this way. I guess I couldn't look that way either. Um, I had just pain there and moving my arm was hard. And I had let it kind of go on for a long time. And I, we were getting ready to go on a family vacation, a very special family vacation. Um, we were going to Italy and um, had, through the gift of someone, was able to go there. And I was looking forward to 10 days in Italy. And I thought, if I have this pain, though, I'm going to be really distracted. So let's give the chiropractor a chance. Um, so I went to, the, to the, a local recommended one. And, um, and he spent probably about 20 minutes, uh, if that, working on my, my spine and my vertebrae. He, mis he uh, aligned some vertebrae. He rebooted some muscles that were spasming. And, uh, and it, pretty much immediately, my pain was gone. Um, I could turn my head the whole way. And as well, I felt a surge of energy. I felt like 10 years younger. And it was, it was fantastic. And, so in those 20 minutes, I could have spent years and years researching chiropractic health care. You know, I could have looked into all the, the different things about it, studied it and so forth. But it only took 20 minutes or less, actually, for me to be convinced that this is, can be a legitimate way to be treated. Now, why do I tell that story? Um, because what we're going to see in this passage today, Paul is seeking to um, address the question, is he qualified? Is he legit? What Paul's going to do in this passage, you'll see, is he's going to say, guys, here's the answer. It's about transformed lives. And so we're going to dig in and look at this topic, that it's about transformed lives. We're going to look at how it uh, addresses the legitimacy of Paul's ministry. And we're going to look at how it works for the New Testament people of God. And then we're going to look at how it progresses for God's people as well. Uh, we need to know about transformed lives. We need to understand that this is an, a key important aspect of the Christian life. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for the reality um, about transformed lives. We thank You, Lord, that there is a reality that Your people experience. And we thank You that um, You are a God that's working in us. And we have this proof of the truth of who You are. We can use our own intellect to study and to look, but but through observing You at work, Lord, we, we see and are convinced of the truth. Uh, and we need to realize this, the importance of this topic. So I pray You just help, help, Lord, help us to understand, help me to teach and explain Your Word. And through it all, we could hear from You and be changed by You um, and be lifted up by You, Lord God, that we might be more like You 
and we might love others more in your name. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'll be reading the entirety of chapter, of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. And you can follow along there or if you have a Bible in your hand. Paul starts in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And what I want to do is learn about how it's about transformed lives and walk through this chapter and explain the different sections. So hang on. It might have seemed like a lot of information, but we're going to go through it and dig into it. And Paul starts out first in verses 1-6. through saying that transformed lives from God validate His ministry. We've seen in chapter 2, he was talking about his ministry and really the ministry of every Christian to be the fragrance of God, uh, the fragrance of Christ to the world. And that, that as we follow Jesus and as we proclaim His truth and walk with Him, and, and even in our weakness, as we, we walk in this life of weakness but power in Him, we are the fragrance of God and it spreads everywhere. And it has an effect on those around us one way or the other. Um, And so he's been talking about that and he talks about his commission. And then he transitions into chapter 3, verse 1. And by the way, in the beginning, when this letter was written, there were no chapters or even verse numbers. It was just a letter. And so he moves right into the next topic, anticipating that maybe they're going to be saying, well, who do you think you are saying you have this ministry? And so he says in verse 1, are we beginning to command ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Paul's addressing this idea of a letter of recommendation. Apparently, what's going on 
is there are other leaders operating in Corinth who have letters of recommendation. Um, he later on is going to call them super apostles. So they have these letters of recommendation. They're probably very impressive letters of recommendation. Maybe they even came from the church in Jerusalem because that might have been where they got started. Um, and they're bearing these letters and they're talking about uh, the visions that they have and the miracles that they do and they're trying to impress the Corinthians and get a following. And that's the context that Paul is dealing with there in Corinth. These people who are saying these things about themselves who have these impressive letters. Now Paul could have gotten a very impressive letter of recommendation. Um, we know enough about him. We're going to find out later on. He had lots of qualifications. But he didn't want to take that approach. He didn't want to talk about how great he was and how qualified and all the great things that he had done and so forth. He wanted to actually ground himself not in himself, but in God and what God was doing. So that's what's going on in this chapter. He's saying, we're not looking to letters of recommendation here. Our letter of recommendation is something very different. It is you. It's you guys. You are our letter of recommendation. Your lives and, and the change that Jesus has made in your lives affirms the fact that we are ministering in Jesus' name. So you're our letter of recommendation. Your transformed lives written on our hearts. We don't need to carry around in our pocket a letter saying, you know, you're qualified, we're qualified to be ministers. We carry you guys around on our hearts. We remember what God had done and what God is doing in your life. We remember this. We know that He's come and He's changed your lives. That the Gospel, the good news of Christ crucified and risen, when it was proclaimed in your midst, the Spirit of God worked in your hearts a miracle that's greater than any other miracle that could be worked. Even physical resurrection from the dead. Because it's a spiritual resurrection that had gone on in their hearts. It was the greatest miracle had gone on their hearts they had been changed by Paul's ministry as he simply proclaimed someone else. The goodness and greatness of someone else. Paul's effectiveness was not based on his qualifications and certificates he might hang on the wall, but were based on his effectiveness was based on Christ and His power through weak people. And so he's pointing them to their transformed lives as the thing uh, that... The, the things that validated his ministry. He says earlier about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about them in this transformation. He says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. The reality is that the Corinthians were pursuing all sorts of pathways for life apart from dependence on God. And it looked like all these different things. God has a pathway for us of, of His ways, trusting in Him. And so they were going all over the place. And Paul says, "...and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God." The Corinthians are changed people because of the activity of God in, in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. The church was full of transformed lives. And that's what Paul is pointing to. This great miracle that had happened there as they encountered the good news of Christ crucified on the cross. The amazing truth that God Himself in His great love for us 
did not want to let us go our own way. Did not want us to live apart from Him. Did not want us to live in eternity apart from Him. Some of our youth talked about that reality. But in His great love for us, God took on flesh. God the Son took on flesh, became man, lived the righteous life that none of us could live, even as hard as we might try. And then He sacrificed that righteous and good life on the cross, bearing our sins, shedding His blood, paying for our sins, fulfilling all righteousness, rising again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. God in the flesh, alive forevermore, now reigning. This good news, Paul proclaimed, it's a simple message in many ways. And as it was proclaimed in Corinth and and they listened, something went on in the power of the Spirit that it became more than information. It became transformation in their hearts. And they began to follow Jesus and trust Him. That's what had gone on. And and so that's what Paul's pointing to. This work of God. And that's Paul's confidence here. It's not in himself. Not in his qualifications. His confidence is, he says in verse 4, that we have through Christ toward God. We're not sufficient in ourselves, in verse 5, to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And He made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. God had called Paul and his team to be ministers of this covenant. To be servants, really. To to make their job to go around and tell people the good news and to model what this new life looked like. It didn't come from them. It came from God. And the result of it was change in people's lives. That's what Paul's pointing to. He's saying that's, that's our letter of recommendation. We don't need to look anywhere else. We don't need to point anywhere else. Just see what God has done as we've done this simple job of teaching and living out in light of these truths. That's, that's where we're grounding ourselves. Put your confidence there. I think that's an important point to understand. Not only for Paul and what he's doing, but for us. To see how this functions in our lives. And, and, and I think it makes sense that it's the product ultimately that validates um, that validates the whatever, the, the person, the ministry, or, or the company. That Yesterday, um, I had to get my tire repaired. I had a flat tire. And actually this morning I came out and I had another flat tire. I don't know if there's a kid in the neighborhood flattening top my tires or something. But, um, but I had to get a new tire. And uh, we had used different companies to, to get our tires replaced, but I thought, well, which, you know, which one should we use? And so we were trying to think which company to use to get a new, a new tire for the car, and what would you do in that case if you didn't know where to go? What would you do? Ask, right? You go online and look up recommendations, right? So you look up the recommendations, and you find via the recommendations what? Did this company do a good job of meeting the needs of the customer? Were they efficient and economical? And if they're nice, that's even better. Right? So that's what we did. We went and we, we looked, looked around to find a place that had really good reviews. It was really interesting. Some of the places that we thought were good, I thought were good, had some really bad reviews. Now, I know sometimes people just do that because they had a bad day. But they had bad reviews for good reasons. Um, and, and, and the point in this is that we were looking for the product. We're, are these guys good at replacing tires? Are they economical? Is it efficient? Is, is it good quality? I could have kind of dug deeper and thought, well, you know, uh, and not that this doesn't matter, but, uh, but to say, well, you know, how are their mechanics certified? You know, what are the certifications? Or what are their products like? And, you know, as far as the tires or whatever, is it, is it this brand or that brand? 
I could have looked at a lot of different things to think, how do we qualify, how do we know whether, whether the entire company is good or not, but ultimately it mattered what the product was. And that's what Paul's saying here. You can talk all you want about letters of recommendation and so forth, but here's our letter of recommendation. It's, it's the product. It's changed lives. It's God working through us. It's, it's not because of us, but God is working through us. And He's changing lives. There are transformed lives that, that are now rescued from sin and separation from God and are looking like Jesus more and more. That's, that's the point here. And I think it needs to inform us as we think about what we're looking for in a church or a ministry. And we can evaluate on many different things, but ultimately what, what matters in a church or a ministry is what's the product? What's going on? Are there people that are more like Jesus? Are there people who are rescued from their sin and separation from God and are now looking more and more like Jesus? Or not? You can have everything else. You can have all the credentials. You can have all the program and all the polish. You can have all the, the right professions of, of creed and so forth. But if you don't see people that look more like Jesus, then that's not a successful or commendable place. There needs to be product. There needs to be transformed lives. And so it's just a great way to evaluate ministries and churches, but it's also a great way to look at ourselves, right? And that's where we want to start, ultimately. To evaluate ourselves and to build a church together that's not aimed at polish and program. Those might have their place. A church that's not even necessarily or merely aimed at the profession of our truths, what we believe, but the product of God working in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit in light of the Gospel to, to bring transformed lives. Lives that look more like Jesus. Lives that are freer from sin. Lives that are loving more and more towards people. That's the first point. Secondly, transformed lives come from this new covenant in Christ that Paul talks about in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in this section, you see him talking about the Old Testament quite a bit. The Old Covenant. He talks about Moses. Um, he talks about kind of what's going on there and the glory of Moses. And he's comparing that to what is going on now in, in the New Covenant. The New Covenant in New Testament is another way we say that. The, the New Covenant people of God. So he compares them in, in what's going on. Part of the reality is that in the Old Covenant, as it was given, God had worked graciously to rescue His people from Egypt, brought them out, and said, now, I'm your God, I want you to follow Me. And He gave them commands. And part of what happened in that whole process of receiving commands, um, they ended up missing God but getting the commands. And they created a, a, a version of, of, of following God that was off, and it became about the commandments. And it was never meant to be about the commandments merely. The commandments are real ways that we express our love for God and others in light of His grace in our lives. But if you don't look to God in that, you miss it. And that's what had been going on. They had missed the grace of God. And so it was, it was something that was not effective. It was fading and it was replaced and fulfilled in Jesus. But even so, even with its imperfections, even with the fact that the people didn't get the whole thing, it still was pretty glorious. And so Exodus chapter 34 talks about Moses actually talking with God. He would, he would go up in, uh, to the mountain and he would meet God at the, on the mountain. He would meet God in the tent, uh, the tent of meeting. He would encounter God. And he would walk in and he would be changed himself. So Exodus 34, we can put that up and follow along. 
It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and, and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that, uh, that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So Moses is encountering God here, and the glory of God is, is making an actual physical impact on Moses. And he's coming out of the tent of meeting and his face is shining and the sense in the wording actually is not just like a glow, like you might think, oh, you know, you ever said to someone, you have a glow, or what's going on, you know? What are you happy about? You have a glow. Well, it wasn't just like a glow. It was like the sun beaming out of his face. It was, it was bright. It was glorious. You couldn't miss it. And for the people of Israel, they didn't like it. It was, it was something that instilled fear in them. They didn't want to see it. It was, it was overwhelming, and so he would wear a veil to cover his face. It's pretty amazing stuff um, to think about. And the point in all this was ultimately that they would see Moses and they would be drawn to God. So it wasn't, the intended effect wasn't fear, mere fear, but that they would say, wow, Moses, you've been with God. And I want to be with God. See, that was the element they were missing in the Old, old Covenant is that they needed God. They needed the presence and power of God. They needed to depend on God and His grace. And therefore, and then in that place to walk out the commands. But they were saying, well, we don't really want that, that part. We'll just try to do the commands. And they missed the point. Um, they were to see God in His glory and they should have wanted more. I think that makes sense, that, uh, but somehow they miss that. If, you're, if you go to an ice cream stand and you're in line and you see a, a friend coming out towards you and they have a double, triple scoop of ice cream and a big, their eyes are wide open and a big smile on their face, right? And you know, they're licking the ice cream. What's your reaction? What'd you get? I want some of that. And that's what the people of God should have done with Moses. Wow, Moses. What's going on? Who is this God that you're talking with? I want to know Him. I want to follow Him. I want to know Him in His glory and grace. But they miss that. It's, it's very sad. And so God in His mercy brings a more perfect covenant. And covenant is just a solemn agreement. God makes these covenants with us. And He's made a covenant with us in Christ, should we receive Christ. It's this solemn agreement whereby we can have a relationship with Him. And so He came with sending Jesus to bring this new covenant that in it we might have a relationship with God and it would be an eternal relationship. And so this new covenant comes along and that's what Paul's talking about. They are ministers of a new covenant and there's a greater glory in this new covenant. Moses' glory was really something to behold, but this is a greater glory. Moses brought commandments that were written on tablets of stone. We bring 
commandments that now are written on hearts. Moses brought glory shining in his face. Now we bring a truth where the, the very Holy Spirit of God now dwells in us. And there's glory in us, and it will only get better, and there'll be one day when it will shine like the stars forever and ever in the presence of God. That's what's being said here. This new covenant is coming along that is going to result in a greater glory. And, and the law is not going to be on letters or tablets, but it's going to be on hearts. This is a promise in Jeremiah early on, hundreds of years before the New Testament was written. God had promised to Jeremiah that this very thing was going to happen. Jeremiah chapter 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. By the way, it was never for lack on God's part that that covenant didn't work. But he has something better that is going to work. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God promised to bring this new covenant where now there's this transformation. It's not just that we read commandments and they're just kind of you know, black uh, ink on paper. You've got to do this thing. It's a rule. No. There's something in our hearts now in this new covenant experience with God by the power of the Spirit in light of the truth, the good news of Christ. He writes on our hearts the law. And there's change in us. And we now want to do the things before that we really didn't want to do. I certainly know before I came to know Jesus, I was always looking for loopholes. And my, my obedience to what I was told to do was only just to keep myself out of trouble. It was self-serving. There was not great love, certainly for God or for others. But experiencing new life in Christ, all of a sudden I found myself changed. And I was so grateful for that because I had come to the end of myself. I had just come to the bottom and done all sorts of things that were damaging. And, and I, I knew that I was lost. And that's when I heard the good news of Christ. That He had done what I could never do. He had been righteous. And He had offered that righteous life in my place. Shed His blood for the forgiveness of my sins. And just through simply turning away from the things I knew didn't work to Him, I was included in Him and forgiven. And in that whole process, I experienced new life. Now for me, it was very sudden. For others, you, know, you don't really know when, what day, I don't know when. But at some point in time, I know there was a difference. And there was a new desire in my heart, as imperfect as it is, but a new desire to obey and to follow. That's, that's what comes with the new covenant. And so Paul's talking about this, this, this new covenant and transformed lives come through this. The new covenant is in light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has done for us in Christ. You can't come into the new covenant apart from Jesus. You can't come into this new relationship with Him apart from Jesus, apart from understanding uh, and, and believing in what Jesus has done. You don't have to do anything else besides that. Now, there are other things that follow from that, of course. But you don't have to become a member of a church. You don't have to be baptized, as important as that is. You don't have to get your life in order, as, as important as that is as well, because that follows. But you don't have to do that. You simply turn and you trust in what He's done. It's that simple. It's through faith 
that were counted righteous in Christ through faith alone as a gift, not of ourselves, of Him alone. And so Jesus, and the truth of Jesus is an, is an essential ingredient in this new covenant relationship, but so is the Holy Spirit. We see in our passage that the Spirit is the one writing on our hearts. The Spirit is the one uh, bringing these truths to bear. The Spirit is the one giving new life. And so, God the Son, Jesus, and what He's done, God the Holy Spirit are essential to this new covenant. And of course, God the Father is the one who, in the first place, brings it to us, loves us, and draws us in. That's important to understand. It's important to understand these key ingredients in this new covenant that they all fit together to not leave one of these out. We can leave an ingredient out and it doesn't work. Just like when you cook something, you make bread or a pancake or whatever, you leave out baking soda, what do you get? You get a brick. It doesn't work. The key ingredient for a transformed life, the key ingredients for a transformed life are the good news of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those go together. And so health comes from acknowledging those things as all together. To not neglect the Gospel, merely focus on the Holy Spirit, to not neglect the Holy Spirit and, and just say, well, as long as I know the Gospel. We need God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, under God the Father, all together. Finally, transformed lives result in ever-increasing glory. So as Paul moves through this discussion about the New Covenant and all these things, he, he draws it to a close in verses 17 and 18. And he says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This comes from God, the Holy Spirit. And where God is, the Lord is, uh, is the Spirit. Now, he's pointing to actually this experience with Moses. As Moses encountered glory when he saw God, Paul's saying now, that's actually the Holy Spirit. For us as New Testament believers, we encounter the glory of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says something very profound here, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you encounter God in these truths, there's freedom. You are freed from the things that bound you before. You are freed from condemnation because there's no condemnation in Christ. Because Christ died for our sins and rose again. Romans 8, 1-2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is God's holy. If you disobey, you're cut off from relationship with Him. That's how it works. That's how it works with every relationship. You're cut off. You're, you're separated from Him. But when you come to Christ and trust in Him by the Spirit, those old ways are dealt with. There's freedom. There's now no condemnation. And there's freedom and power in the life of the Spirit in us to say no to the old things. And yes to God's things. Yes, we might struggle, but there is definitely a difference in the life of a believer. There's freedom from those things. They needn't rule us. There's freedom to live a new life and to follow God and to experience peace. To truly live to truly enjoy life, even with its ups and downs. There's no promise here of a, of a life without trouble. But there is promise of freedom. And there is promise of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Verse 18 says, it's beholding the glory of the Lord. We're transformed into the same image from one degree to another. We behold the glory of God. Ultimately, this is, we see this in Jesus. Later on, about six verses later, Paul's going to say, for God 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the experience for the believer is we behold God in His glory in the face of Jesus. And as we see glory just like Moses, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. The Christian life is a life of progressively becoming like Jesus. Now, there are ups and downs. There are temporary reversals. But if we keep looking to Jesus, we will keep advancing in glory to become more and more like Him. That's the promise here. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and who He is. Look to Jesus and His goodness and kindness, His truth, His power, His love, His wisdom, His mercy. Look to Jesus as we see Him in the Scriptures. Look to Jesus on the cross shedding His blood for you. Look to Jesus bearing your sins in His great love for you. Look to Jesus risen on the third day, victorious over sin and death. Look to Jesus in His miracles and His ministry as, as we saw this morning and what He's done. Look to Jesus in His glory right now reigning yet with scars still on His body from the crucifixion. See Him in all of who He is. The One whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Whose voice is like rushing waters. Who makes the glory of God known. He is the image of the invisible God. He shows us what is invisible in His glory. He makes Himself known. And as we look to Jesus in the power of the Spirit, we progress from one degree of glory to another. This is what Paul's talking about here. This is the ministry that he is conducting with his team. This is the truth of God for us. Ultimately, it's about transformed lives. They're works of God. They validate Paul's ministry. They come in the new covenant in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they progress as we look to Jesus from one degree of glory to another. God wants to do that in our lives. And He wants to use us and others' lives towards that end. So we come together as a church to do that. To, to be together on Sundays, but to be together throughout the week. To help each other look to Jesus. And we do our best by God's grace like Paul did to help others see Jesus. We love our neighbors. We're there for them by God's strength. We tell them the truth about Jesus. We model our lives so that they can look to Jesus. And by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, they too might be transformed. This is what we're called to. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Thank You what You have done on the cross and in Your victory over sin and death. Thank You, Spirit of God, for bringing life to our hearts. And thank You that we now have this ministry as well to help each other look to You, Jesus, and, and grow from one degree of glory to another and to tell others as well about You. Help us, Lord, to live in light of these things. Give us strength. Lord, encourage us even this morning. I pray for fresh joy for all of us in light of this amazing ministry of the new covenant that we have as God's people. So thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, in our first, our second Corinthians series, we've been doing a little bit of Q&A. So if you're new here, just want to let you know that. Um, take some time after the message just to interact with any questions we might have. So I uh, just wanted to give some time. If anyone has any questions on anything in the text,
uh, otherwise in the message, uh, ask away and I'll do my best to answer. So any sort of question doesn't have to be all perfectly formed. Anything you're thinking. Yes, Barbara. How do you find glory? Or define glory? Uh Yeah, glory is, technically the word means weightiness. Um, It's greatness, it's goodness. So, uh, so God's glory is His goodness and greatness, and, and, the, and the, the size of it. Um, so that's kind of it's the it's the the weightiness of His goodness and greatness. So you can get into specifics on that, right? All the different qualities of God. We see His glory in creation. The creation is not God; He made it, but He made it to show Himself, that we might engage Him and see His glory and enjoy Him. So uh, that's true for all humanity, right? We're put here for the purpose of looking to Him ultimately and enjoying His creation. But His glory is most fully shown in Christ. We see who God is in Jesus and, his, and all of who Jesus is, right? In His mercy, uh, His death, that God Himself would take on flesh and die for us. Amazing humility, amazing love. Uh, his holiness in that too, that, that God is so holy that he could, not, he could not refuse to bring justice to sin. He had to be perfectly just. Um, and yet He answered that in Christ. And we go on and on. But that shows just, it's the dimensions of his goodness and greatness. So great question. Any other questions on anything? Toby. Good question, uh, Toby. So Toby was wondering about the uh, question about the being conformed into the same image. Does that mean we're all going to be clones? And uh, we're going to—it is the image of Christ, right? So as we behold Him, we're being transformed into His image. But we know in creation, and we see this in God Himself, there's diversity, uh, and so God makes diversity, and yet there's unity. So the church, the the Bible teaches us, the church is very diverse on purpose. Uh, and it's to be unified around Christ. And so there's diversity and unity. And so the, the church is to look like Jesus together, but each of the components have different aspects. So the shared image uh, is, is looking like Jesus. Um, and then individually as well, we're all a little different. So how that manifests in our lives will be slightly different. Uh, none of us will be the full picture, just simply by ourselves. We'll be parts and we'll reflect aspects of it. So none of us will be God, right? So we'll have will have limitations. Um, and so that's, that's how diversity works in God's design. And uh, diversity and unity, that's what b- beauty is connected to those things, right? As we look out, we see diversity and unity. Um, and so that pattern is there in Scripture. We can see it many places. So though it says the same image, it doesn't mean uh, the fullness, like exactly in every way, you will be, you will be, you'd have to be Jesus himself to do that. Uh, that's not understood uh, or implied. It's uh, looking to all Scripture. There's this diversity. So we all have aspects of that. And that's uh, that's our need for each other. We show Jesus much better when we're together uh, because none of us have the complete thing. Yet each of us, in a very real way, are to reflect Him more and more as we look to Jesus. Great question. I hope that makes sense. Yes, Andrea.
Yeah, well, in the, so the well, question is, why did, uh, what was the veil about? Um, so the veil, of course, was covering his face. If you look in the context, um, there was, there's intimidation going on. Um, they don't want it. And that happens earlier, so that's a theme there in Exodus 20 to 34. God shows himself, and the people are like, we don't want to hear his voice anymore. Moses, you go up. We're, we're, we don't want to do that. So sadly, there's, there's like, they don't really want to engage. Now God is holy, and we don't approach him like flippantly. There is that aspect. So the Holy of Holies and the veil with that, um, there, there is that aspect. Um, I'm not sure how strongly I'd connect the veil of Moses and the Holy of Holies, but I do, do think there's elements that compare. Um, but I think it was the intimidation, too. Like, you know, he's, he's shining. This is, this is overwhelming. Um, and I think if they got the whole story, like we have, um, Moses probably could have been unveiled. Um, and I trust that they would have approached that reverently, but been like, our God lives in our midst. So he's already shown his glory in their midst in the camp in many ways. Um, and, and sadly, though, they don't engage him. They, they just kind of give me the ceremonies and the rules um, instead of gauge, engaging directly. So I, I think that's what it had to do with, uh, just looking in that context. Um, it, it, was, it was veiled. Their hearts were hardened. It was, it was their reflection of the state they were in, perhaps, more than anything. So it wasn't for lack of God wanting to show himself. He was already doing that in many ways. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, so initially he came down and he didn't have a veil on. God didn't say, put the veil on Moses. So that would be different, right? God said, put the veil in the, in between the Holy of Holies and the, the Holy Place. But God doesn't say that. Mo- they say, Moses put the veil on. Um, so God hadn't given him instructions on the veil. And so I think that's the difference there. there so. Good question. Maybe one more question? Anyone? Do I see someone over this side? Yes, Kelly. Yeah. Great question, Kelly, and very, very honest too. Um, yeah. So why don't what what needs to happen so that we go to him first and not do what we normally do? And and so, uh, did anyone in this room, by the way, uh, think or do anything stupid this past week? Okay. So we're with you, Kelly. We just want to let you know you're the honest one. Um, you know, it happens all the time. I think the first thing to to, to realize, though, actually, is that um, his mercy and his righteous life. His blood shed for us covers it all. So even before you think about what to do, even before you say, I want to do better, we just want to rest in what he's done and, and rely on him. That's what it means. So, so we can face our, you know, that's part of what Paul's doing, right? I can be honest with myself because I'm not trying to give an image that I got together. And the reason I'm safe to do that is because I know Jesus has already paid for my sins. Um, he's loved me that much. Um, and, and he's spoken about my need that much too. So no one can like, make me feel more embarrassed than, than him dying for me on the cross, right? Because that says I'm, I'm that bad that God himself had to come and rescue me. Um, yet I'm that loved. And that gives us a boldness, I think, to face those things in a freedom so we don't live in condemnation and guilt because that's something I think we can all do. Like we just live off of the stupid things we did this week. So being released. And then to know that he's for us to help us in that. He's working and we look to Jesus. And, and, I, and I think uh, we're, we learn that over time. You know, we learn to do better. We learn 
sometimes it's practical things too. We just know ourselves enough. Okay, count to ten. Count to ten. Um, and in that ten, you say, Lord, help me. You know, so there's habits that we develop. But they come as we, I think, having gone through it in a poor way, remember our forgiveness. And we ask him to help us to do better. But we don't approach that from condemnation, but eagerness. I want to, I want to look more like you, Jesus. And we will, I mean, the scripture teaches us, we will make steps in that, step by step, more and more. Um, so I wish there was a, just a simple way, like, boom, I'm done with this forever, um, but not till I go to be with him will I be done with it t- totally. And I think that one of the aspects that comes with that is, but I learned to, to treasure and celebrate my forgiveness all the more and be all the more hungry to be like him as a result. I hope that answers that. That's a really good question. Yeah. All right, so why don't we transition now, guys, to communion, if the band could come up um, and the ushers could come forward. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion. It's fitting in light.